medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen in to these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. Hey everybody, welcome to Geological. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. 
I love how technology can help to automate my office, and I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. I have a really interesting guest today. Well, actually, I hope I usually have interesting guests for you guys, but this one in particular, Leo Locke, I think you're going to really enjoy. Leo is a licensed practitioner of Chinese medicine and has a private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's also the creator of a new series called Voices of Our Medical Ancestors, which you can find on Facebook, and I'm going to have links for you on the show notes page, so go check that out. This is the topic of our conversation today, and in addition to talking about Voices of Our Medical Ancestors, we're going to be getting into the classics of Chinese medicine. Leo is an avid contributor to the over 4,000-member group, Scholars of Chinese Medicine, also on Facebook. And again, I'll have links for you, so don't worry about that. Leo has helped to research and answered more than 1,000 questions on the historical development, interpretations, and translations of Chinese medical topics for our colleagues all over the world. He's, He's got more than just a finger on the pulse of the classics. So I'm totally excited to have Leo here to uh, discuss this today. Leo, welcome to Geological. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Um, it's an honor to be on your show. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm delighted to have you. Hey, I'm curious. I mean, you have an incredible background in the classics. Are you from a Chinese medical family or do you just have an interest? I mean, how did you kind of land where you've landed? What's the path that you have followed here? Um, well, I guess that has to go back like a long, long way. So I actually grew up in Malaysia uh, to a Chinese family. Mm-hmm. So my granduncle, I think, yeah, my granduncle uh, was a practitioner. And he taught my mom and all my aunts uh, a lot about Chinese medicine. And we also have an uncle who's still practicing today, who is a specialist in post-stroke recovery using Tuina, acupuncture, and Chinese herbs. Wow. Maybe I should get him on the show. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe one day when he retires. Um, so that's a, that's, that's a little bit about uh, the, the medical background. Mm-hmm. With the Chinese languages, you know, uh, even though we're outside of China, we grew up outside of China, but in that region, we retain a lot of the classical Chinese education, you know. So we grew up reading the classics. You go to schools, meaning uh, 
just classical literature in general. Uh-huh. So you grew up with the classical literature. Yeah. Part of which was the Chinese medicine classical literature. No, the the, the medical literature came later, but it was mm-hmm. more of the the common literature, like the four great classics of Chinese literature and things like that, you know? Yeah. Right. So you had a real foundation in the uh, guan, right? The ability to read and understand the old classical language. Yeah, by by the time I was eight, I already finished my first one from Ming Dynasty. You <laughs> 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 have you heard of the Journey to the West? Oh yes, the of one course. The monkey God, you know. So yeah, yeah, I finished that. I think by the time I was nine. And, and and not the comic book version. No, the real the, the real <laughs> Ming Dynasty right. text. You know, it was like close to a million words. Yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah. That's kind of my nerdy background. <laughs> yeah, great. So you've recently started this series that we can find on Facebook, Voices of Our Medical Ancestors. Tell us more about this. What was the inspiration for this? Sure. So over the years, I've interacted with a lot of non-Chinese speaking or literate practitioners all over the world, especially the last three years or so, being on uh, Facebook. I've come across quite a few observations about this group of colleagues that I really care for. I think one of the most prominent feeling I get is that there's often a sense of alienation, mm-hmm. like from the tradition. That they don't speak Chinese, or a lot of them don't have a teacher that they keep in contact with uh, after they graduated. There's this often like, oh, I got into a practice, I'm on my own, they don't have many colleagues, and then they don't feel like they belong anywhere. Or there's a continuous stream of uh, transmission or education they can get consistently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's your observation too. or Well, I mean, I read a bit of Chinese. So I I feel like I'm connected in that way. Mm -hmm. But the Chinese that I read is, it's more modern Chinese, Uh, right? The Guwen, the old stuff. I've never really learned that. And so to to actually go to the original classics in the original language, I, I need to rely on like modernly written type commentaries. I see. Right? Which helps. I mean, it gives me some access. But yeah, it. I mean, being able to really connect with those classics in the language that the classics were written in—that—that's kind of a rare thing. And 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 certainly as a Western practitioner, and, and Chinese is a second language for me. For me, there's always this question of: Am I really getting this in the way it was intended, or am I just kind of reading things into it mm. because I think it's a good idea, or I want to believe it's like this? Yeah, and, and, and that's the second point I would like to bring up is there's often a lot of arguments and conflicts, you know, and around medical doctrines and ideas from the classics, right? Yes. 
uh, and we know people who get into it very uh, fervently. Mm. What shall I say? Um, and I, in my observation, there there are actually two kinds of uh, discussions or arguments. One is about uh, the ongoing applicability of certain medical concepts or doctrines or principles. And I think that's necessary as practitioners in different countries, in different regions of the world, in different times, it's always necessary to have that kind of uh, exchange and conversation. So that's one category. And another category sometimes has to do with a kind of lack of understanding or misinterpretation of the language itself or the culture, mm -hmm. or even something that I only come to it very recently is what scholars call material culture. Because a lot of times, books written in the past, people reference the world or the worlds they lived in. And they utilize metaphors and analogies from the daily things they, they interact with, like the chair or you know, houses and going to work in the fields. A lot of times, the non-speaking, uh, non-Chinese speaking world doesn't quite understand the things in those worlds. So when, when analogy and, and principles are being explained in terms of the workings of those material things, we tend to impose our modern understanding on those processes onto the ancient world. Which could have a whole different meaning. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so that's the, not that kind of argument. I think oh, if we know more about them, then we don't have to argue because it's just factual. You know, this is, this is something I've heard other people talk about, and it certainly has run through my mind. It's this thing about can we, with our modern minds and our modern concepts, understand where these ancient people were in their thinking and in their perceiving of the world? I think we can't 100%, but we can get much closer <laughs> mm -hmm. if we understand the world they live in. Because I think so far, I don't want to call the West because we have a lot of people, a lot of colleagues now who don't live in the West, like our South American colleague, you know. So maybe mm -hmm. non-speaking, non-Chinese speaking colleagues would be. Right, non-Chinese yeah, world. non-Chinese world. Why go around? Or even Chinese themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Then I think it's, it's really important to, to draw in archaeology. Tell us more about that. Meaning, if you want to know, for example, like in the Neijing, chapter one of Ling Shu, they use the analogy of Nu, which is, I think, what do you call those? I just lost it. The firing, which you fire like an arrow with it. What is that called? <laughs> oh, a bow. Yes, a bow, right? A bow. And then there's another device that they use to fire into the enemy. What is that called? Crossbow? 
Yeah, a crossbow, yes. Okay, more Thank mechanized version. <laughs> the mechanized version of the bow is a crossbow. Okay. So they, they love using the analogy of a crossbow to describe how acupuncture works, right? Yeah. But uh -huh. do we know how a crossbow works in Western Han? So, so, so that's why we, we see now in modern translations of these texts, mistranslation, not because they're weak in the language, is because they don't really see the crossbow, the Western Han crossbow in their mind when they do the translation. Uh -huh. So, but that can be easily rectified now because we have images of these crossbows all in display in museums and they're on the web. We can call them up on Google images and look at them and research them. And there are many documentaries that came out of China that talk specifically about weapons of the time. So if we do some research, then we immediately see what they're talking about. What is this part? What is that part? How does it work? We have a better understanding then. Oh, much better. We're, I think in the 21st century right now, there's no better times to understand these things because they're all made available. Right. So what you're looking to do then with your Voices of Medical Ancestors is bring in these, bring in these deeper understandings. Yeah, the images. The, it really the images right now is images and videos of how these things work because in the past, we had to focus quite a bit on philosophy, right? Because the, the non-material things. But now that we have the, the material things available to us, we, I think we should uh, utilize them to their fullest extent. Yeah. So, you know, you were just talking, you just mentioned philosophy, which I think many of us that do Chinese medicine and, and many of us that were drawn to it, a piece of it, in addition to it being clinically really effective and helpful, is the, the philosophical aspect, and mm -hmm. which I think is great. And yet, the real reason for us doing our work is to help people in the clinic. So I'd like to see if we could delve a little bit into how the classics and how the work that you're doing helps practitioners in the clinic, being able to take that philosophy and enter it in such a way or use it in such a way that it helps to boost up or give us greater insight into how we can help people in our clinical practices. Absolutely. So sh should I share some of the, my cases? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's hear what you've got to say. I'd love to hear that. So I think the difference between uh, sort of a, a Chinese, well, I can't say, some Chinese practitioner versus non-Chinese speaking practitioner is that our clinical reasoning is not based on another language other than the classics. So give, let me give you an example. So I have a patient, I had a patient mm -hmm. recently, uh, not recently, in recent years, you know, nowadays there's a lot of paleo people, right? Right. Yeah, so I have a patient that I've seen in a while. Usually, you know, he's in his 20s, very athletic, you know, recovers really well. Usually he comes in, one or two treatments, he's good. Then one time he came in, and we treated him for twi two times, and he didn't recover. 
just really kind of a tweaked his left knee kind of thing, you know?、Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be difficult. It makes no sense because, based on previous experience with this patient, he should have recovered by now, but he isn't. He didn't. So I asked, like, what happened? What did you change? Said, oh, I went on paleo recently. I was like, you got enough muscles. You don't need paleo, right?、Mm. Um, so I said, well, would you consider、uh, eating like bananas as medicine? Uh huh. And I put it on two weeks worth of banana diet, and it's completely good. You know, after that. Okay, so this—I mean, this is an especially interesting case given the popularity of paleo and and how people really are cottoning these days to how diet can be helpful. Can you tell us where you dug this up in the classics? Yeah. Yes. So, so what happened was immediately when I heard that case, I said, "Ah,、oh, this is from the Suwen because the Suwen says, 甘苦集即是甘以缓之 So that's like, so that that's what happens to us when we study in Chinese. That's what pops up in the mind immediately. It's like when I saw that, it's like 甘苦集即是甘以缓之 banana." <laughs> Right? right. Okay. So, for our listeners that don't speak Chinese, how would you translate that? So it, it says, you know, the liver is、uh, suffering from tension. So when when there's tension, quickly or immediately eat something sweet to relax it. Ah,、uh, sweetness to relax the liver. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 the classics being alive. It's that、like、you have a, a clinical encounter, and immediately the line comes up. And then you prescribe something, and then the problem solved. Right, and that you know that goes so counter,、uh, especially to people with paleo, because they're they're often thinking in terms of blood sugar. They're often thinking in terms of I need to eat this to get that. Yeah. And this is this is just a whole. Well, first of all, that's a whole different way of looking at it. Secondly, and 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 this is, and I do want to hear some more case studies, but I want to dig into this this piece first. So. You, because you've studied this stuff, it's like somewhere in your brain, somewhere in your mind, your sensorium, whatever. You've got these lines of the classics floating around. That's right. <laughs> and then something happens in the clinical encounter, and this idea or this thought comes through, and you go, "Oh yeah, gankuji," and you go, "Oh yeah, right. It's this is a liver and、uh, tension problem." Yes. For those of us that are not native Chinese speakers, or even those that are native Chinese speakers but haven't schooled themselves in the classics this way, how can we go about developing this sort of a mind that allows us to have information that I don't want to say is indexed like a computer, but is somehow in there and accessible and accessible, so that In the midst of a clinical encounter, it can arise.、Mm-hmm. I think、um, that's a really good question, and probably that's why I do what I do. <laughs> so to 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 give context and to give、uh, a a really how would you say compelling enough of a story and scenario around that that line, so that you remember. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it's not very different from how a child learn languages or an adult for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Because the language is not learned through grammar, you know, for a, a, a natural acquisition like in a child. It's learned through scenarios in lives, the vignettes in life where mom or dad, you know, had a, a, a sort of like an interesting emotional response to a scenario. And there are certain utterances that came out of that scene. And we remember them because it's emotionally uh, impactful or, or visually interesting. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Yes. Yes, that, that is exactly it. I remember when I was studying Chinese in Taiwan. I had a number of people tell me the best way to learn a word is to associate a story or an emotion with it. Yeah. And then later I came to realize that when I actually did some, when I did learn, when I was in the midst of something that really caught me emotionally, and maybe I, I misspoke something and was corrected, I would never again have a problem with that word. Yeah. So, yeah, whether you're an adult or a child, that natural acquisition by connecting it with other things, including emotion and story and imagery, seems to be really powerful. Which are meaningful and, you know, close to our hearts. Yes. I think that's the easiest way to acquire something. So Make it meaningful and close to your heart. Yeah. So, and mm. I think there has to be a recognition that path towards acquiring this, this kind of facility will differ from person to person and also from native speakers from somebody who's not native speakers, right? Mm -hmm. but, the, but the common ground is the same, like we just talked about. It has to be meaningful, it has to be emotionally impactful, and it has to be interesting. Yes, and visual doesn't hurt either. Yes, in our, in our you know, 21st century, is visual is the way to go. Right? Right. So um, can I share another case? Oh, yes. Yeah, this is great. Where, just, so that was chapter 22. So we're going to talk about Su in chapter 23. So this is another interesting, very modern scenario that we deal with every day in like an American clinic, right? 
So there's another guy in his 20s, very healthy, came to me and he says, I have a problem. I lifted uh, like a glass bottle full of water. It's like those you know, 1.5 liters, whatever, bottle. And I sprained my, uh, my middle finger. And it has been a couple of months, and I don't seem to be able to recover from it. What's going on? You look very healthy. You know, you're in the prime of your life. Yeah. How can you not recover from something so small? Right. So like, and then he says, oh, and I eat very healthily. You know, it's like I'm on a very healthy diet. I said, uh-huh. <laughs> Something. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Isn't it great when people say that? You get to ask the question, great. So tell me what a healthy diet looks like. Exactly. Right. And he says, oh, I'm onto this kombucha thing. You know, I, I brew my own kombucha and then it tastes great and give me so many antioxidants, blah, 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 blah. I said, bingo. Stop the kombucha immediately and throw it out and make sure that it leaves your house. And make sure it leaves your house. Uh, yeah, because he, you know, when you make kombucha in the, the room and if you live in an apartment, the, the whole apartment is infused with kombucha. Mm-hmm. So those little spores, I mean, it's almost like a mold in, infestation. Yeah, yeah. So, but where does the reasoning come from? Because the Suwen 23 says, Suan zhou jin, jin bing wu duo shi suan. If you have tendon problems, don't eat sour things. Right? So we had... We, we have that uh, a lot in uh, martial arts applications, right? A lot of martial art people, if you're injured, you injure your tendons, avoid sour things. Okay, so this, all right, I got, this really brings something up for me. Because I, I have heard people talk about it this way. But I've also heard, I remember in my early Chinese medicine education, that, that the liver likes sour, and when there's tendon issues, you know, a lot of people think you want to go go and use sour. How do you explain these differences? Then is tai guo and bu too much and too little. Mm-hmm. Right, right. If we don't have enough, you really want to astringent the tendons. Then you eat some sour, of course. But too much of it. And the tendons get too tight. Yeah, too tight. Right. Well, sometimes I don't know. They just get easily injured and you can't basically the person could not recover so within a month of getting rid of that thing he recovered mm -hmm. would this also be a case where a little bit of sweet might be helpful for that i think so and and something spicy too like warming spicy will help mm -hmm. yeah so again is a line straight out of the classics like we encounter all these modern like we have never seen before kind of diets or dietary supplements or health food, superfoods. But I always go back to the classics. I don't care what you call it. <laughs> does it taste sour or does it taste sweet? That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And so far, it, it, it pans out okay. Right? It works. Have you got any other case studies for us? 
I do <laughs> a lot. Uh, I don't know how like complicated kind of a case because those two are pretty simple. Those two are pretty simple. Okay, so give us give us like a give us a moderately difficult case. Let's see let's see how this plays out. So maybe we can do a moderate, and then we can get do a little complicated one. All right, let's do it. A moderate one will be okay. So this is. Quite a number of years ago, there was a middle-aged guy. He's a chef. He came to me and he says, I went to all, like, I don't know how many doctors. Can't breathe. So it's, he has this severe shortness of breath. He says, the only place I can breathe into are my temples. Only place he can breathe into is his temple? Yeah. So like a sensation. Mm -hmm. He doesn't feel like anything is expanding or allowing the breath to come through, like, from his throat down. Okay. That's pretty scary, right? And he went to his doctors, and his doctor says, you have no problem. There's nothing wrong with you. But he says, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to die because <laughs> I can't breathe. You know, we get this, right? we get this so, a lot. People have like, something. It's very real for them. They go and get tested, and, and they're not told, we can't find out why. They're told, you don't have this problem. Yeah. Yeah, and he says, but of course they do. He says, I'm afraid I'm going to die from suffocation. Yeah. Right? I says, oh, that's really interesting. And, and, and he's a very robust kind of guy. You know, he's not weak. He doesn't have any lung or COPD or anything like that. He's just a really robust, hardworking man. Mm -hmm. And then I said, huh. And then the, a, a line from the Jing Gui Yao Lue came. Right? It says, The normal person not having any fever or feeling chilled, right? And yet having shortness of breath, so much so they cannot complete a full breath. This is repletion. This is excess. Wow. And there it is. I mean, that just describes it to a T. Right? And then I said, oh, and then I took his pulse. And his pulse, you know, the twin position is a little sunken, a little weak, and tight. And then the guan position is a little tight. And then it says, and that's like chun kou mai cheng er chi guan shang xiao jin shu. That's gua lo xie bai bai jiu tang. In the xiong bi, chest bi chapter, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, this is a classic. It, like, it fits the lines perfectly. So there's nothing more to do than prescribe as the line says. And then he says, well, I can't drink uh, alcohol. I said, no problem. We'll just use the gualo and the xiebai. Mm -hmm. Two herbs. So he took it. Then within 24 hours, he's, he started um, having diarrhea, but not normal diarrhea, but globs of white gooey phlegm came out of his bowel movement. Wow. Right? And then within a day, he was 50% better, and we keep doing it, and he, it keeps purging. And then within two weeks, he was completely normal. Phlegm obstruction. Yeah. But uh, what came out was phlegm. It was like undeniable. He saw it himself, and it's like all that came out is white stuff. That's amazing. So then... Why not the classics? Because just as it has worked 
1800 years ago, even older, like 2000 years to 2500 years ago, it will still work today. Yeah. As long, as long as you are sort of lining up all the pieces that are relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I'm not saying it will always work 100%, you know, but sometimes it works like magic. It works like magic. Well, and again, it's, and it's coming from this ability to have this image and sense of the line and what it looks like and what it feels like. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you can recognize it when someone with that is sitting in front of you. That's right. And that's why I think it's so important to learn in 3D. Mm. It's not just the line. It's, they're not just words, but there are words painting a picture of a live person. Right. So a, a little later, we're going to get more into sort of where you see voices of medical ancestors going. But, but for the moment, in hearing you talk about what you've just what you've just said i'm wondering if you have other suggestions for our listeners on how they can read the classics with an eye toward getting more than words out of them yes i think even just with the translations that we already have maybe trying to visualize it Right, if like take the Shanghai Lun for example, didn't well you translated Professor Huang Huang's book, right? Didn't you? Yeah, you know, I yes, I did, and and one of the things I love about that book is he's got a few drawings in there. I don't know, there's maybe twenty-ish drawings. They're they're sort of cartoonish, actually. Yeah, I mean they're kind of hilarious, but they're these wonderful caricatures of what someone looks like. So he's got this great picture of this uh, Guajir, Xiaojia, right? This, 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 this cinnamon twig girl, yeah. And she's this thin, wispy thing, and there's a fan, like, blowing her away. And then there's this, uh, I think it's the uh, Da Huang Shensung, right? He's this big, strong dude. That's right. You know, big, burly guy. You know, and I've seen, too, some of the time that I've spent in bookstores in Asia, Sometimes it will be like the cartoon version of the Huangdi Neijing or the cartoon version of the Shanghan Lun. And they'll often have these caricature uh, cartoons that, that represent what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we may, I would encourage everybody, you know, who are interested, was interested to, to explore more of the visual side of things. Because uh, it's it's really actually I think the lines sometimes are actually what if like they're dehydrated vegetables. Mm. We kind of have to put the water back in them so that they rehydrate and get restored back to a live sort of a three dimensional, four dimensional clinical encounter with a real person. Does that make sense? That's a great image. That I'm just kind of soaking in the, the sense that these lines, they're, they're dehydrated, and we can make them not just 3D, but 4D, because we can actually begin to perceive over time what would happen, just like in the clinic. Yeah, else they will come across as very dry. Like I think I remember in your previous 
uh, podcast with Zeth, you know, you, you talked about a little bit about how it comes, sometimes it can come across as very dry, these classic. Mm -hmm. Maybe because we, we haven't been able or alerted to the fact that we can actually put some juice back into them. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. That is such... I'm just, I'm just thinking about my own experience with reading this stuff. And at times I just want to give up because it's like, yeah. it's terse, it's dry. It's it, in some ways it's very thin. And yet if I can let that inspire something in me to put more into it, how does this fit with my clinical experience? What might this look like? What do I bring to the encounter with this line? It might help to open it up. Yeah. And then I, I would highly recommend that we don't just study the lines by themselves because that's very dry, but instead study clinical cases, case histories by famous doctors or doctors from Ming Dynasty or whatever on that particular line so that you always have a story to go with it. Yeah. You know, I don't know anyone who doesn't like a good story. Yeah. So, and I would say, you know, maybe from this conversation, we can inspire uh, all our colleagues worldwide to think, start to think along those lines and start to fill up these images and volumize them. Yeah, I think it's the approach, it's the approach. I, I don't think in any way that our non-speaking colleagues are any less intelligent or capable than the Chinese colleagues. It's just that up to this point, we haven't figured out these strategies and how to make these things alive and interesting so we can absorb them easily. Well, you've given us some great inspiration and direction today on how to begin that journey. Really appreciate it. No problem. Give us a glimpse if you can of where you see voices of our medical ancestors headed in the future and from our conversation today it's really clear to me that part of what you're doing with this is to help i guess you could say volumize 
the lines and, and take the dryness and, and add some water to it and uh, begin to see how those stories unfold. What, what do you uh, have in store for us in the future? I'm thinking of an analogy of a time machine, <laughs> like a metaphor of a time machine. <laughs> so because we now have enough resources to, to reanimate the past with, with visuals, with, you know, unearth or excavated text and archaeology. So, so it is time to put the, the ancient world back together. Yeah, and then put the medical classics or the lines back into where it began. Well, and I hear you adding a third component, which is modern clinical practice. Yes, yes, right. So, 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 so there is these connections between the lines, the lines with the ancient physical world the lives of the ancients across time and across space into our own practice and into our friends and family. By reconnecting all those threads. I'm just, uh, I'm just sitting here in quiet for a moment. I, and I get to edit this stuff a little bit too, so I can, I can be quiet for a moment. And I'm just so appreciative of your... Um, perspective across time and ability to use the modern technology to to enliven this material that for many of us is, is so dry and dusty we've got no idea where to begin and to enliven it in such a way that it actually helps inform our clinical practice yeah and i and i think a, a lot of times is again. I want to go back to the the fact that our non-speak Chinese speaking colleagues are just as capable. It is just that nobody has. Well, I wouldn't say nobody, but at this up to this point, we haven't been able to provide that kind of ecosystem or environment where all these different components, the history, the 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 material culture, the things, the, the, the world they live in, the spatial sense, all come together to give everybody an equal chance of understanding what was being presented. Yeah, well, much appreciation for your, uh, your efforts with this and, and for sharing this with us. Leo, is there anything else that you'd like to leave our listeners with as we come to the end here? Just maybe one more thing, and, and, and there's a reason why I named my Facebook page or channel Voices of Our Medical Ancestors, not Voices of My Medical Ancestors. You see, it is ours because the moment somebody committed to the path of a Chinese medical practice, it really doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what language they speak. This is our collective history and a collective heritage, I would say. Yeah. Right? And, and that's, that's important because I, I think a lot of times people just feel not disconnected from this, the, the lineage. 
and and somehow you have to go to China or have a master teacher to to be inducted into the the hall of the lineage. I don't think that's necessary. If we have an, a better way, a, a a more public way or democratic way of um, of connecting people to these lines of transmissions, without having to jump through hoops and and do some kind of initiation in a secret lineage or something, it can be an open source uh, knowledge. Well, again. Links to this will be on the show notes page, folks. So hop on over there to geological.com and check it out and see what Leo's been up to and, and what he's going to be sharing with us in the future. Leo, thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful talking with you. And uh, I look forward to the uh, voices of our medical ancestors as it continues to unfold. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, my friend, that is a wrap, and that was one kick-ass awesome interview. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.